what movies do you think of when you think of fall? What when you get when you want to get in the mood? What do you want to watch on TV or streaming or movie wise besides American Horror Story? Obviously. So you just mean like the very beginning of fall? Because I have movies that represent fall to me in different ways. For instance, Ooh. I always watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for Thanksgiving because it's, it's like there's not very many Thanksgiving mm-hmm. movies. There's you know Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, totally. but. There's not very many Thanksgiving movies, and so like that one represents you know getting close to Thanksgiving. Of course, there's tons of amazing Halloween movies. So as soon as honestly, I'm already I'm already in like old horror movie mode again. I watched Insidious last night, I think, um, just because oh it's like God. disappearing. Yeah, it's you know you go right to October. Yes, I'm already jumping like right into October. I'm talking September. I'm you talking like, September. You're talking like cozy, just starting to put yes. on a sweater movies. Exactly. It's Oof. still like 85, but you put a sweater on and you get your cup of tea and you're like, yeah, I'm going to tuck in and watch this movie and make some popcorn and like, ooh, the leaf, one leaf fell. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> uh, I'm very curious to hear what you're going to say. Well, H- Harry Potter would be one of them for oh, sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like the beginning of the school year. I love Harry Potter. As do you, I know this. Um, all and but a lot of rom coms too, and I didn't know this. Well, so my one of my my number one rom com ever is You Got Mail. I love that movie. I think it's so fantastic. Definitely more than Sleepless it? in Seattle. Wow, definitely more than Sleepless in Seattle, which is a little more stalkery. But um, You've Got Mail is just so great. It hits every holiday or it hits every season. It starts in the fall. And then moves to winter and Christmas and then goes to uh, spring and then ends sort of toward the end of spring and the beginning of summer. I didn't know this, but Nora Ephron, that's how she writes her. She's a screenwriter for that. She writes for every season. Hence, When Harry Met Sally, uh, Sleeps is in Seattle, like all this. And they all end in different spots, but like they hit all the the seasons. And damn, that makes a good rom-com. <laughs> It does, yeah, because you can make it be about, I mean, you, you know, any you could watch it for any holiday to a certain extent, and it's kind of like has that tie-in. And, yep. And who know, doesn't love Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? Of course. And everyone loves a good film tied to it, like a, a changing of the season. You know, I'm, as we talked about this before, I'm a sucker for fall, you know. Um, I'm, mm. I, this is my last week of holdout with not a bourbon and cider, but I'm planning, my planning, my tradition, like, Transition is going to be, we moved to Death Valley, I moved to Bourbon Insider, the leaves <laughs> are starting to turn, and it'll, you know, it's all going to come together at that point. Definitely. I love it. I'm, I'm into it. It just started getting cool here. I'm sure it's sort of getting cool there, too-ish. No? Well. It, it cool, cool-ish. Yeah. Cool-ish. But we're almost there. I have had my cider in the, in the packets, because that's where I, I prefer that kind. And they've been in the uh, pantry for about two weeks now, and I'm just waiting. The bourbon's been ready for 17 years, but but the cider's there too. So I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. But it's going to happen soon. Maybe next week. Maybe we'll do it next week. Maybe next week? Yeah. Well, let's do it. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story. 
an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the finale of Red Tide, uh, but also the sixth episode of our 10-episode season. Tyler, how are you feeling about that? How are you doing? I don't know, man. Winter kills, you know? It really Winter does. kills. <laughs> Winter's coming, and winter kills. Yeah, there's a real Game of Thrones vibe <laughs> happening here in this Kinda. episode. Wow. Are they the White Walkers? Kind of. Uh, I, I mean, not as powerful. They, they, they're more walking. The de- they're more walking dead zombie esque. By the end of it, I kind of feel like. Um, yeah, they almost remind me kind of like we'll talk about this more obviously, but like I got a little bit of like a World War Z vibe. Um, they're more zombie than they are vampires. At the, least by the, the end the of this pa- the pales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we actually dive into the meat of winter kills as an episode Uh, a couple things we need to touch on up front of course as always we encourage you all to reach out to us via email at this american horror story at gmail.com with your thoughts theories dreams hopes uh nightmares whatever you choose to share we're (laughs) we're open to it uh same at our facebook page at facebook.com slash this american horror story where we try to kind of foster this community of people who enjoy this show a couple of comments I had uh, for this particular episode. First one is, we had a number of people point out that last episode, uh, it was very clear that a lot of the pale people have sharpened teeth. Mm-hmm. And that this is a little bit inconsistent or doesn't make sense given the fact that we learned from Harry that, you know, and you know he goes to see Lark after he has become a talented person and you know, talented people get their teeth sharpened in order to better suck blood. So how is this happening to the pale people that they would have sharp teeth? Do you have any theories about this or do you think it's just a miss? I think the theory is, my theory is that they they deteriorate. So it's not that their teeth got sharp in essential, like sharpened way to have fangs. I think it's just their teeth are falling apart. So they're sharper and grosser. So they are able to do that. Or that's... If I was the writer, that's what I would choose because their hair is falling out. So they're losing like parts of their, you know, physical being. Yeah. And that might be why. But that's 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 the way I'm going to justify it. Yeah, that's, you know, because, of course, you know, as we all know, uh, you over to you over intake on um, iron from your blood uh, causes uh, teeth to deteriorate, as, as everybody knows. Uh, that's that's science. Don't Google it. Um, I didn't know that actually. Another thing, WebMD, WebMD dot com slash tjmoss11. That's right. Uh, Another thing that I just wanted to share out was uh, Bryce is always on top of what's happening, kind of the American Horror Story threads and on Reddit and things like that. And he had shared a theory that the chemist is, is the child of Kit Walker and Alma from Asylum. And that, you know, I, I Whoa, think... Whoa, that's a deep, that's a deep, deep cut there. Hmm. Well, it, it had been mentioned at one point, Lana Winters mentions that Kit's daughter became a neurosurgeon. And, you know, neurosurgeon, doctor, scientist, they're, they're similar disciplines. Maybe she had gotten it confused, um, as even the best journalists are wants to do on occasion. Uh, you know, especially if she is clouded in mystery working with government. It's hard to say. Now, I will say that we don't know whether or not this actual theory is true yet because I mean, we haven't seen the full season bear out and 
or I don't know about you. I'm still presuming there's some tie between Death Valley and uh, Red Tide, and they're not totally disparate seasons. I so hope so. So it's possible we learn more. The, the fact that they've only ever called her the chemist, it seems like maybe there's some kind of mysterious reason for hiding the name. Her name. True. Good point. So hard to say. So it, it's totally possible um, and will be interesting. So I kind of hope there is something there to that extent because, you know, as you know, I think we'll probably talk about here, it does feel a little bit to me like the chemist's story is unfinished. I no. think there's a lot of uns- unfinished stories after this. Yes, but yes, that I like that, Bryce. That, like that's cool. Unfinished business. And finally, before we dive into the cold open, uh, this is the midway point in our season. The end of Red Tide next week will be the beginning of Death Valley. We just wanted to also make it an opportunity. This is a new thing we started doing this season. Was soliciting very small donations to support our server costs, um, and we are so gracious for the fact that. Uh, our last round of donations uh, was enough to pay off our server cost last month, which was awesome. So if you feel so inclined to donate just five bucks or whatever you have available uh, on our little buymeacoffee.com slash T-A-H-S, that's all caps, T-A-H-S landing page, uh, that'd be terrific. And we'd really appreciate it and it would go a long way. Um, you know, we do Thank this you. just out of uh, kind of a fun passion project. So anything uh, folks can contribute is um very much appreciated so enough about that so we're so grateful (laughs) indeed indeed without further ado before we start plotting out this cold open what are you drinking this evening chris uh if people have been listening for this season so far a couple weeks ago um I was lucky enough to have my partner bring home a whole uh, box of wine, not like a box of wine, but like a box with like a bunch of wine bottles in it uh, from an event that she was working at. And so I'm, I'm, I'm plugging away at that right now. So I have a Missouri, it's called Jeanette Rouge. It's a dry red wine from uh, Missouri. <laughs> Tyler, mm, what are you drinking? The finest vintage in Missouri. I love it. Yes. I'm drinking a Negroni, which is one of my go-to cocktails. Um, mm. Sometimes I'm, I do it with mezcal, but this one is with gin. So cheers to you, my friend. Cheers. It's a nice red drink, so it's very appropriate for the ending of Red Tide, I think. Blood. Yes. Cheers. Here we go. Will you walk us through the cold open, Chris? Yeah, sure. So we have a fisherman heading out to, surprise, go fishing. And he's warned about a big storm that's messing with the tides um, and they get, get out into the open water and something's happening with the boat that they get stuck and, uh, they're like, let's go check it out. And he goes and looks to see what it is. And he brings a stick out and he pushes away that looks, you know, I'm thinking it might be like a pale person or something like that. Turns out pop, the body pops up. It's chief. I believe is chief Burleson, I think is, um, her name. So that's that's our chief who had been investigating who Alma had killed at the house. Um, And then we cut to what I presume is a city council meeting or a commissioner's meeting of some sort. Um, They call themselves a council, but the the way they I know this world very well from my journalism career. And the way this happens is not how it goes down in real life, which is fine because it's not this is TV. But anyway, people are coming to ask for certain Um, variances or easements for their properties and Martha who is the uh, 
property manager, I guess you would say, of the house that that Harry and Ur- uh, sorry, well, Ursula is living at that right now, but Harry and Alma and Doris were uh, occupying currently. Um, and they essentially, the first thing we see is they disapprove of this white versus white shingle <laughs> that this woman wants to put on her house. They're like, who are you? You're disgusting. That's like, we would never do that. What do you want? No, get out of here. And then the next person that pops up is a guy who owns McHenry's and he wants to open a new location. I can't remember if he has a restaurant and then he wants to open a bar at a second location or vice versa, whatever it is. Um, but he gets called out because um, one of our favorite characters and actors of all time, Dennis O'Hare, playing who plays the character Holden, who we've seen him multiple times in the season, um, calls him out and says, uh, first of all, your name is Levy and you're appropriating uh, Irish culture. So Levy is more of a Jewish name, uh, if you didn't know. Uh, and also he has terrible footwear and how dare he want to open this location next to this other guy who he knows who is, has impeccable fashion and what, and it would tarnish his, this new location for McHenry's would tarnish the locate, the next door neighbor's good clothing situation because, uh, he would be putting plastic tables and chairs next to this house. So denied. (laughs) How How crass. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> the, this is like so ridiculous. It's but it's also hilarious, and it moves so fast. I could not keep up with all the jokes. Um, but our third person who shows up at the podium is the Massachusetts State Trooper. Um, I, I I don't remember if we get her name. I think her name might be Jan Remy or something like that. I'm not sure. Remy Trooper Remy Trooper Remy. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's who's played by Dot Marie Jones. And if anyone who's watched Glee would recognize her as Coach Beast, who played a very prominent role, I think starting like season two or three uh, throughout the whole season, became less of a main character, but was a incredible person and awesome character in that series. Um, anyway, she was called in to investigate um, the murder of Chief Burleson. And she says the body was found and there's a serial killer definitely on the loose because all this murder lines up with a bunch of other deaths and murders that they've found and they all match. Um, and the, the council is saying, oh, it's sharks. Oh, it's a, it's the uh, propellers on the boats. Um, and, you know, all these things that uh, Trooper Remy says well, that's that's not the case. Did the propellers and the boats come, or the, did the propellers and the sharks come on shore to do it first? Um, and then that's when they the council starts getting real and says, like, these are wintertime problems. Uh, you need to let it go. We need the money from the tourism, and we 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 need to keep the gays essentially, um, because in springtime things get fine again. So my first question, obviously, was like, well, what happens in spring? Anyway, um, she says, uh, Trooper says, we. she was sent here to investigate this, and she will do it, damn it. Um, and she walks away, and Holden says, don't worry, I'll handle this. And then we get the cut to the title sequence. What do you think about this, Tyler? 
Oh, man. I mean, I think this this answered some big questions for us that have been kind of holdouts. Like, why does this town tolerate these pale people wandering the streets and these murders that keep mm-hmm. popping up and everything like that? And clearly there's this implicit or no, I mean, maybe it is. It seems maybe not. explicit. Yeah. Um, agreement among all the locals that, you know, this is the, you know, if they were to make too big a deal of this, it would ruin the tourism business potentially for the non-winter seasons and might really crash the local economy in Provincetown. So they have to tolerate and to a certain extent, maybe even um, uh, enable the uh, use pill taking residents and you know, deaths and pale people, everything in, um, in P town as part of it. And Holden is in on, in on that plan. So we, we were confirmed for sure. It seems to this point, he is a real talented person who is just in on the whole roost to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. A couple other things here too. I thought we were setting up, uh, coach beast slash trooper Remy to play a more significant role this episode, but this is all we see of her. So, Will she reappear is, in a later is, episode? Good question. This is one of the problems I have with this episode. It would focus more on the epilogue <laughs> as opposed to the resolution of whatever we think that P-Town needs to have. And I think we need this episode disservices what happens to P-Town and to our characters that we've come to love. Right. No, it, Even um, though we're introducing a new character in Trooper, Remy. You know, right. I I mean, and th- that's the thing is I think it's a really solid cold open. And I think that it sped through an episode I was expecting to be more focused. Um, but we'll get to it. It of doesn't. Course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow through on the promise of what's set up in the cold open. I agree. I did like the line that ended it with. Or I think she says something like they don't serve lobster rolls in Walpole State Prison. There's a few kind of corny lines in the, in this episode that I. Some I enjoy more than others. I think Holden has one later about how he stopped a Burger King from opening and he'll stop this. Or yes. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. This episode was written again by Brad Falchuk and Manicoto and again directed by John J. Gray, who all did last episode too. So we're kind of Which having... Which was my favorite of the season so far. Right. So we're kind of having a tight crew on, on the season of Red Tide, interestingly. Uh, normally we get a I little like bit it. more variety, but... That's been the case. Um, and I think, yeah, we would all we would both say so far it's kind of paid off. Um, so the episode proceeds, of course, with Holden going to go meet this little trio of the chemist Austin and Bell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a deal between them, basically, and that's how we learn about this. And, and they have a way they've been operating for some period of time. But they start immediately, and this is kind of the theme of this episode, blaming the Hollywood people for screwing everything up and being the morally oh bankrupt God. people who who have turned P-Town into a mess and in like what was a pretty good situation, screwed it all up. They, um, this is where we really get the hierarchy of like writers, who's a writer and who's, you know, below that, you know. Um, Holden even, or sorry, uh, Austin even says something like, we're the letters writers and they are something else <laughs> yeah it's kind of the high art low art i mean it's you know it, it, you see this in art art museums and things like that too it reminds me of like these old societal um discrepancies you would have in like i don't know like the 1800s that would be between like some old money family that had been rich for generations versus some like new upstart money family and how like the old money family would still look down on the you know upstart money family and all this stuff 
Um, Definitely. Belle, Belle even corrects herself and says, like, she starts saying, like, well, I'm a writer. And she goes, excuse me, I'm a novelist. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think she even says something here, like, it makes you think that, Q, that all that QAnon bit, business about baby killers is based on fact. So we talked about kind of that conspiracy Love theory. Love that joke. Yeah, yeah playing, playing a part in the season a little bit. And I think it's reflected there, obviously. It's a little bit of self-awareness. Uh, but, you know, as they, they were already planning on getting rid of the gardeners because they knew the gardeners had screwed everything up. And Holden just insists even more that they have no choice but to do it because or he's going to I think this is kind of uh, was a funny comment, too. He's going to turn their houses into historic landmarks, which I happen <laughs> to know living in Massachusetts where everything is very old and there are a lot of um, homes and things that get turned into historic landmarks. I have a friend who operates historic properties and their house is actually a historic landmark also. And. If you get that designate, it's like an official designation in which if you want to change anything, if you want to renovate anything that's like visible and there, there's like so many more regulations you have to uh, pay attention to and loops you have to jump through to like make changes to the property because once it's historic, they want to preserve the historic integrity, obviously. So that's why he says something like you're going to have to wait six weeks, six weeks to change a light bulb or something like that. It's like really not that far from the truth. So, yeah, I believe it. So it's spot on. Uh, meanwhile, Ursula is fawning over what she calls Harry's Moby Dick, his Romeo and Juliet, his mm -hmm. godfather, his masterpiece. And Harry decides he's ready to stop the pills now that he's done effectively five years of work. Um, Alma is, of course, pissed that he's making this decision for everybody. Ursula is also trying to tell him, like, yeah, you think you're going to get your soul back. But after what you've done, once your soul is gone, it's gone, babe. And you should just embrace that, you know, and be cool with it. Um, but there's still a little bit of soul left. I'm curious what you think about this instinct from Harry because he like, Harry's been on quite a journey and I think we can all agree after last episode, you know, his reaction after Doris died, like he's kind of a selfish asshole. <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, you know, Harry's journey has been a little haphazard at least the last two episodes, you know, he seemed like he was trying to do the right thing. And then he fell into something because he want, he was chasing ambition. And then his daughter took the pill and then he was mad about that, but then he helped her. And then he really got maybe manipulated by Alma to thinking that his wife is not talented. And that mattered, you know, enough that he would allow her to just become a pale person that's the part that doesn't rest well with me. Even if you, like, didn't... Like, he never showed that he hated her, <laughs> you know? Like, I feel like if you'd want someone to take the pill because you know they would become a pale person, you'd hate that person. And I never really bought into him hating her. And then he comes back in this one, now that, she's that Doris has become a pale person, that he says, you know, like... He doesn't say it verbatim, but you know, now that your mom's gone, like we need to go back and have this life. Like, is that really what it took? Eh, I don't know. He's a little all over the place. We're supposed to root for him. I think at this point, because he does want to go clean. Does he want to like help save his wife? No. So he's not completely a good person. He's actually an asshole still. Um, but Alma still says we don't need her. We're good. Let's move on. And Ursula's there to reinforce that. I don't have any sympathy for Harry at this point in time because, the only, I mean, not. you know, the reason he's saying he's done is he's written five years worth of work in 
two months or something like that, right? Like he's written a piece that they're calling effectively to like a, a all-time great thing. He doesn't need to cre- keep producing. So it, it's it's a you know there's nothing you know uh, self-sacrificial or bold in him saying he's going to stop the pills. Like he doesn't have any reason to continue taking the pills. He's produced better art than most people will ever aspire to create ever. And he's kind of being a douchebag to his daughter who he enabled to continue on the pills and who won't be able to pursue the dream. So like, even though Alma is like a clear psychopath, I feel a little bit of empathy for her at this point. Cause like, it's, it's just a dick selfish move. He's like, yeah, she, she, she's like, dude, you got yours. I need to get mine still like F off. Like we got to do this. I want to give one shout out to John J. Gray on this, uh, the sequence, because there is a fantastic shot that was done from inside the fireplace where the flames are all lit on the bottom and it's looking from inside the fireplace out to our three characters, which is Ursula, Alma, and uh, Harry while they're discussing this and obviously like creating this demonic devil conversation and it, it was just brilliant. I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. I agree. We do have this moment of I think what is supposed to be genuine an attempt to show genuine empathy for Harry when they're in the kitchen and he thinks he spots Doris at the window and he's like almost like what are you even looking out there for and he's like your mom's not just like a stray cat that comes to the door she was your mother yeah um, fuck off man like I rolled my eyes at that I was like yeah yeah she is to you dude but yes he, the way he let her into the street was totally like a stray cat uh, you know but it's it, more than anything this scene just like underlined for me the tragedy of Doris's transformation last episode uh, yeah. and that you know that whole sequence um of course, what happens next is Belle and Austin take action. They kidnap baby Eli, um, write this elaborate note about coming to visit at sunset, and Harry knows what's going to happen. Um, he knows they want to murder him. They want to murder Alma. They don't know what to do about it, but Ursula has a plan, which I think the, one of the best lines in this whole episode is when Alma calls Ursula chicken shit little bitch. I think it was. I love that. I love that. That was, that was iconic. That's going to be an iconic line for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Chicken shit, bitch. <laughs> uh, so Ursula wanders into the cemetery and gives, uh, you know, this whole elaborate allegory about Lawrence Fishburne uh, not being in Pulp Fiction, but then, you know, getting the role in the Matrix, the Matrix instead of Sam Jackson. <laughs> and how they could all be reborn as uh, Morpheus, I guess, in... in this other life so she offers a new pill so i think at this point we're all like well where is this new pill coming from and of course we learned down the line that she is secretly partnering with the chemist um you know as i was as they were surrounding her at this point in time like it's i think i kind of knew that she was going to survive but there was a part of me that was like is she's really banking on this idea that the pale people have coherent thoughts still at this point because we've seen them just become more and more animalistic and less human over time You know, there's a real part of me, especially with Ursula, that I was kind of wanting to just see them descend on her. But obviously we didn't get that in the end. Mm hmm. Yeah. I I, one of my issues I have with um, this secret plan was I don't think we ever got any moments of teasing uh, another pill that could do something else. Um, And, you know, I'm not I'm not above thinking that that wouldn't happen but 
just having some notion that this was in the works could be interesting enough or it would pay off a little better than the way Ursula's plan pays off, which is like, well, that was a magical pill that happened. Right. Well, and to your point, you know, we cut to Belle uh, hovering above baby Eli with a knife as Harry and Alma show up. The whole crew is there apparently to kill them. Uh, Belle gives this whole monologue about how much Hollywood, Hollywood people suck with some interesting etymology about the <laughs> origin of the word movie. Which I hadn't known. Which this so moves kind of really fast. <laughs> Talk me through this, because this moved really fast. What did you hear out of it? Uh, of her monologue? Or yeah. just the whole scene? Well, she's complaining just about... I mean, she seems at this point to have some real personal anger toward movie people. And she talks about this whole idea that when people were coming to Hollywood originally, the people who were already settled there called them movies for moving around so often. And so it was originally kind of a epithet, but it became... You know, what we call the films place. these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this is, again, remember, this is Brad Falchuk writing this, who's primarily a TV guy, a screenwriter. Um, so, this is, I, I love this. I, lo- I love these. I, and I, I, this is why I like to go back and rewatch these episodes, because I want to hear exactly what's said. Um but this is quite the commentary on what the value is in writing these days. Novelists sell in certain forms, but you know who's getting the deals and making the money are the TV writers, the the showrunners, the Ryan Murphys, the Brad Falchucks, the Shonda Rhimes. Um, those people are the people who are like making the multi-million dollar Netflix deals. So. It is interesting to see like the old school art versus the new school art and and even thinking back even further, the old school art before uh, movies came along, even, you know, it's 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 it, it, I love I think it's awesome. I think it's smart and it's interesting and it's a, it's a self-reflection on what Brad Falchuk and Ryan Murphy do and make money off of now, whether we agree with how good they yeah. are or not, that is that is the critique that they're getting. And I like that they're putting it out. That they're putting it out there, for sure. You know, what's funny to me too is that the, there's some irony built into this scene as well, because Belle is voicing this criticism of Hollywood, while at the same time, Belle is a romance novelist, and not that I have at all any. I have the most respect right. for romance novelists, but within the realm of you know, even within the realm of novelists, there is a similar uh, you know breakdown between people who consider themselves like you know literary novel novelists and that's the word that's used literary that come out of advanced writing programs with fancy degrees and people who write for the people and i to a certain extent romance novelists are seen as a lot more like blue collar to that end like not write not necessarily creating high art so i think it's it's kind of i think it's i think they're self-aware of it there's an irony here too that bell is is kind of being the one to voice that Totally. I love that. So as this whole thing happens, then, of course, the pale people burst in through the windows. This scene reminded me of Feral. For those of you who watched American Horror Stories, we had a similar scene. I felt like we borrowed from ourselves a little bit there, um, but not in a way that bothered me necessarily. It was just felt like a little fun, I don't know, homage. Some people might use the term masturbatory and i think that's potentially fitting <laughs> um but apparently austin and bell are both very accomplished knife men <laughs> um <laughs> the way they're slashing around which i appreciated 
Uh, we don't really know the origin of that, but it's cool. Maybe that's how they originally uh, were able to open big enough veins to get the volume of blood they needed. But we quickly realize, you know, Ursula comes to the rescue. She shoots everybody after Austin and Belle have been executed by the pale people. Um, and, you know, she again has freshly manipulated these poor, untalented people, um, which seems to be her special skill. And, you know, of course, this is when we learn the chemist survived and we get and this is when we get that little bit about those those secret pills that were created, which we don't know about, which apparently and help me understand this if you have a deeper understanding. But it's my understanding that these pills attract you to people with talent and makes you want to eat talented people. I, I this is a good question because I don't I don't really comprehend what what it does besides it i know it turns people against each other regardless of if you're talented or not i think it was hard to understand um i bet this is why the chemist grabs eli and immediately like escapes because she knows what's oncoming um and i think ursula and her had that plan because the chemist back when ursula like pitched her idea of selling to hollywood maybe that's where this idea came about the the impetus for like doing what's going to happen now. Right. And I think that's it, knowing that you're not protected if you're talented and the untalented people take those pills, they won't care if you have talent or not. It's just going to turn everyone against each other. Hence we know in the end leveling quote unquote leveling the playing field. Right. How did you feel while when Alma killed Harry? I mean, like they've been they've been really pushing that she's going to be the villain. And I think the last two episodes we've talked about how she's kind of become the villain. Um, And, you know, I didn't feel bad for Harry because I know I I don't think they they were trying to pose it as a redemption for Harry, I think. But there's no way he was even close to that. So I felt bad a little bit that this girl's gonna be orphaned but then knowing who alma is she's such a little shit that i i was just sad about the whole thing like well i don't give a shit about any of you what did you feel yeah i mean i i feel like we saw it coming right that glance that knowing glance oh, yeah. she gives to ursula in the house like this is clearly something and i mean at some point she had to go get her teeth sharpened by lark right so this is this was a plan in the making oh, yeah. it was it was it was a piece of this, you know, bigger, um, dull out the, these, this new round of pills plan. Um, and no, I don't have a whole, I don't, you know, it's certainly Harry's death did not, uh, strike any car, you know, chords for me nearly as much as Doris's death and TB Karen's death did last episode or even Mickey's death. So it just, it wasn't quite as resonant. I was like, yeah, to a certain extent, this dude just kind of had it coming. You know, this is what he gets for playing with fire in the first place. Um, of course, jump to Los Angeles, and this is, I want to say that this is at this Ugh. point only 35 minutes into this hour-long episode. We're back, we're in Los yeah. Angeles. Um, three months later, of course, home of Hotel Cortez, home of the murder house. And we open the- Wait, with, it really was? Well, Los Angeles is. Oh, oh, home of. I thought you said in front of. I was like, oh my God. No, at, yeah, it's a Hollywood walk of frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, I just, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, I thought, I thought I missed that it was in front of the Hotel Cortez. I'm like, oh god. 
more than anything, I was just saying, like, we're back to Los Angeles, which is a lot more familiar setting for us than Pete. Absolutely. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And we see a pale person, a policeman pale person, walk down the street and start gorging on a tourist. Uh, And as this gets covered by the news, we find out that the chemist has basically been strategically uh, passing uh, pale people pills to untalented racist uh, cops. Uh, so that way they get shot <laughs> by other cops. So I thought this was a little bit of clever, clever commentary. This is one of my, I, you know, go ahead. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was very clever too. It's, it was, it was, it was funny. It was a good commentary on society right now. Absolutely. Um, I love the uh, that she's just picking the people who have had racist complaints <laughs> uh, or charges against them. Um, it was just like. This is the this is a level of American Horror Story that I appreciate because it's a good commentary, like with being with being straightforward with it, but also not overdoing it. It, it it's it's it was funny. I enjoyed it too, and it's a little you know the chemist mentions to a certain extent that like she's basically she kind of continues. She's a little bit trying to make up for some of uh, her her she, lesser she, moral moments. Yeah, she says she's giving back to her community for once. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciated that. The chemist, you know, has been a consistent character throughout, I think, in that regard. Um, and then we see, you know, Ursula, the chemist and Alma, and also Eli all live together in this beautiful Los Gorgeous, Angeles uh, compound. pool side. Yeah, overlooking the city. Oh, my God. And they have this conversation about how Ursula is pushing pills in volume to see who turns. Um, you know, they're at Starbucks, at Starbucks, you know, she's trying to find ways to, she's, she's, she's kind of being lazy and she's trying to find ways to find talent fast without having to read a bunch of scripts and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, they're trying to get Alma into some fancy schmancy, you know, I, the first I was thought it was an art school, but it turns out it's, it's, I think no. the Los Angeles symphony, right? Yeah. She wants to be, she wants to be in an orchestra and she wants to be first chair of violin, which is like, if anyone knows, um, classical music like that is the chair like that is the premier place to be because you set the you 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 lead the solo you you set the tone you do all of it Mm -hmm. and then of course they're feeding alma prostitutes it seems like which is you know kind of what sex workers oh i apologize yes sex workers um which is a little bit of a spin around from the you know, presentation of the same thing in P-Town. So it's like kind of coming full circle here. Uh, it makes me just think poor, poor Mickey is what I think at this point in time, you know? Oh, absolutely. That was a weird scene too when um, uh, Ursula is like, oh yeah, I, I've, I got a hustler at the donut shop. Also it was hilarious. Uh, and then they send um, Alma in to go get her feed before she has her audition and uh after she leaves uh the the fun joke was that uh the chemist was like did you get donuts and she's like yeah of course i did because <laughs> you got my donut shop but then when the shirtless guy's in there with the you know teeny not she's not even a teen she's like eight years old or something like that like walks in I was like uncomfortable but also predatory in a in different way and the roles were reversed and so that was kind of i guess interesting but i yeah. just i still felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah uh role reversal uh yeah. it was interesting there but yeah we have t- so then we have the obviously the two kind of final storylines one is alma competing with someone much older for this chair in the symphony 
And she straight up tells him after, you know, we see her just like totally have this also, ridiculous performance. I would say not much older. He's probably like like 18 or 19 or, you know, he graduated Juilliard at 16, I think is what he said. Yeah. So I think we imagine he's like two years from there, right? Like he's yeah, yeah he's probably like 20 or something like that, which is an ingenue in a different like in our world. But but she is mm-hmm. almost like. In, like uh, much more genius in her mind as we know and we continue sorry well and as she says i'm better than you calls him out and he, this is interesting because i thought you know he kind of puts her in her place a little bit by kind of dictating the politics of the symphony like and presenting a situation in which being the most talented and being the best is not really to her advantage because it's a symphony is not about individual players it's it's like it's like a team sport to a certain extent and mm-hmm. when you have someone who like totally draws way too much attention, you become a freak show. You become, I think he says, the bearded fucking lady kid. Um, Which like was a great reference for our an analogy for our American Horror Story universe. Um, as we know, Kathy Bates played the bearded lady in Freak Show and what those people had to go through and what they dealt with as being the... Um, being in the spotlight and having to perform to their insecurities, but also make money off of it is a really weird place to be. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But not, but, but Alma doesn't see it that way. She sees, she sees herself as she wants to be the top, top, top. Well, and she gets her way in the end, right? Of course she, she eats him. Kills him. Yeah, and I think we're supposed to assume that they were that he was right, and they were going to choose him because they come in looking for him specifically, and find him, uh, you know, yep, with a wound in his neck at the bottom of the stairs. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we ended a screenwriting seminar. Uh, you know, this guy <laughs> is preaching about the the story prism. His book is Master the Art of Story. I will say that. Are, are you familiar with the famous book Story by Robert McKee? I'm not. Fill me in. Uh, I mean, I think that's who they're parodying here. This is a guy. This guy, Robert McKee, wrote this book story, which like is a famous screenwriting book that, like, you know, if you talk to most people who are you know, successful screenwriters, they either read this book or they went to one of these guys' seminars. I mean, I think he still even puts on these seminars. So I think it's a not so subtle reference to this guy who, like, maybe was not a super successful screenwriter himself, but developed like this method of writing successful screenplays that gets a ton of attention. So. A reference to a real person. That makes sense. That makes sense. But a couple nuggets in here. We learned that Harry Gardner swept awards season, even though, you know, uh, post-mortem. And he, of course, has brought Ursula here as a guest speaker. She, I mean, before she even says anything, I think we probably both were like, oh, she's clearly preying on these people. And pretty quickly, uh, Oprah style, she has planted (laughs) black, you know, she's planted the muse pills under their seats. And she gives this whole speech about how they should take it. There's no repercussions. Spit or swallow, the choice is yours. And everyone takes it. And, of course, pretty soon, street, uh, Los Angeles becomes a war zone. <laughs> yeah. um, and it very much becomes like a, a zombie movie because Ursula's given away so many pills that there's just tons of pale people being super aggressive. And the city burns. And we have this voiceover from Ursula about like she kind of frames it as like a democratization of talent and kind of this whole underlying this thing about talented people versus untalented people. Um, and this is this is kind of the the finale to Red Tide with 
Of course, the chemist driving away with Eli in the car to go to another place remote and create some new pill. She says she wants to make a new pill so they can live forever. Right. And she's like, don't worry, mommy is on top of it. I don't know who'd want to live forever in that world, but... No. Well, maybe this is before the apocalypse. I think that's... Maybe maybe it helped spur that apocalypse, but anyway. Well, Ursula says a few things that I wanted to note. That one was, at least like with the pill, she's like, at least the world can find out now if you're any good <laughs> so this is her justification for doing introducing this um and then she says two other things one she says to be told we're talented is all we all want right and to an extent that's true it's also quite the uh commentary on uh millennials and how we all grew up <laughs> um and probably gen z too um, and then the final comment I think that she makes in the um, narration is history is only going to remember a few of us, uh, but at least we're leveling the playing field. So because of this new pill too, some of the talented people are going to get murdered and be dead. And there's only going to be a few people that end up being the most talented. But my question to you, Tyler, is in the bigger picture if you're if you're like just murdering everyone is this art form even going to exist and is it worth it being the best in a smoldering field of death <laughs> well i mean that's a really tough tough question <laughs> you posed to me uh, of course not but you know ursula ursula's been consistent as a character right it's she has. She's she's willing to burn the house down in order to. Leslie's killed it too um, as an actress. Yeah, I mean the character you could see, Ursula's a villain, but a villain who at least unlike you know, and I think Consistent some some, some people pose this in, in emails and things like, unlike Harry, at least like you can say that yeah she's she's been like that's that's been her frame of mind all the way throughout we know what ursula cares about we know who she is as a person we know she doesn't if she's not going to pay close enough attention to make sure baby eli doesn't get kidnapped she's not going to go out of her way to help somebody if who's untalented uh you know she's 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 like the capitalism embodied right it's yep uh, I have to get them, and um, of course not. Of course, of course, it's not worth it. But you know, she in her mind, she's uh, inciting a revolution of, of a certain extent, even though it's kind of an awful revolution. But indeed, it is. Um, you know, it's a pretty miserable vision. Clearly, she's giving away enough, like to give away enough pills that like this is what's happening to the city. This, you know, car, you know, things exploding. This is reminiscent of. The end of the movie Joker. Uh, it's reminiscent of the end of Fight Club. It's, I mean, it's how the most recent season of Westworld ends when we kind of just see the city burning. You know, it feels yep. it feels like a very familiar image. Um, maybe too familiar at this point to the you know, especially when we start thinking of California fires and stuff like that. It's almost a little too on the nose. And uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, this is. This is episode six. We're Ooh. moving into Death Valley. Huh. Other other good reference that wasn't specifically or like explicitly made was um, the whole vacation town 
which I don't, I can't believe, I can't, I'm not sure if we've ever referenced this yet, but Jaws and like off season versus on season for P Town. I mean, Mickey outright references Jaws, but yeah, that's true. You're right. That's true. Never mind. No, but 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 we. I mean, but it's still relevant too, right? Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Give me all your thoughts as this episode, as our our red tide. Quote. I'm going to say quote unquote finale because we don't know how it ties into the next episodes yet. Right. So this is just basing it exactly off of like I'm pretending this is the end of this story and i'm kind of frustrated with it to be honest um again and i'm like my heart is in the spot of like i hope this like builds into something and ties into uh death valley but i instead of continuing the storyline that we had we went in this like very long epilogue in la which I don't think from the preview that we see for Death Valley it doesn't seem like LA. It seems like something else. New Mexico. Um, yeah. yeah, right. And I would like to see us wrap up some more of P-Town more than spend so much time in LA and with Ursula and the chemist and Alma. Um, I want to know what happened to Karen's beach art that she did before she killed Mickey. I want to know what happened to Mickey's script, sort of. I don't. I don't need to know exactly what happened to it, but like those characters that only spent like I read somewhere that like Sarah Paulson was only on screen for like twenty minutes or something like that over the over the five episodes she was in. Wow, which is shocking because she feels like such a prominent character. Um, but I want to know what happened to her beach art. She she did that thing where she stabbed the. Um, uh, the canvas into the sand and painted something. I want to know what that is. I don't need to know exactly what it was, but I want to know like that something happened because of that. You know what yeah. I want to know is what happens to the pale people during summer? Do they go into hibernation? Exactly. Do they get a tan? So, well, so Austin said, he's like, well, we don't feed after Memorial day. I'm like, well, why? Why? Like that's not, I, I don't even have everything explained, but why is that the case? Um, and you know, and is that what Bell is that what they do every summer? I'm okay with some mystery left lingering, but there's a few things that they need to address, you know. And w- the biggest thing in P Town is why has no one ever investigated, investigated all these murders, right? Well, I mean, and they, I think we were trying to answer that in the cold open here that it's like beneficial for the people of the town to cover them up. But I, I yes, I totally agree. There's a lot of questions that were unanswered. Um, I've got some follow-ups f- for you, but before that, I mean, how do you how do you rate the episode, and what is our rating for this finale? Uh, Oprah pills. Oprah pills. Okay, sounds good. I, I give this four Oprah pills. Um, I was a little, and that I feel like after talking to you, I feel like that's a bit generous. Because I've loved this quote-unquote half season. I think it's been fantastic. Uh, Overall, the consistency with the writing, I think the consistency with death meaning something. Um, I think some... There's been a few issues here or there with characters like Harry and uh, Doris and, let's say, Lyme disease. And if these come back in the last back half of the season 
I will happily uh, eat crow <laughs> and say like, damn it, they got me. I love it that they tricked me and they 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 pulled it off. But for for what it is, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm heavily favoring the beginning of this episode versus the end of it. Um, I I don't like seeing Belle and Austin go out like that. Also, I feel like they were such also prominent characters that the way they ended up going it seems like such a trick because of the secret pill that we never heard about. Um, that kind of sucks and feels like a cop out. Um, but I did like it enough. I'm gonna I, I'm bringing it down. Three point seven five. Three point seven five. Sorry, I'm going there. Three point seven five. Uh, pill black pills from Oprah under my seat. What would you give it, Tyler? <laughs> yeah, I I agree with so much of what you said. I feel like there, I you know, I'm left with we were we were asking ourselves whether or not they would stick the landing, and I don't think we can say definitively yet because I think we have to view this season as a whole. But if you know they're calling it Red Tide as a separate thing, and they're calling it Death Valley as a separate thing, and I would say if we're viewing Death Valley just through the you know, through the lens of the six episodes we saw, this is a little bit of a stumble for me instead of a, a perfect, you know, perfect 10 landing. Um, there's too many questions we are left with 100% to your point. You know, there's more background. I already mentioned I wanted on the chemist. I wanted just more closure to P-Town and it seemed like we moved, we transitioned out of it too quickly back to LA, which is just an environment like that doesn't, you know, P-Town had such a character to the setting and LA is just too it. big and sprawling for that to happen. It can happen on a small scale at the hotel Cortez or at the murder house, but it doesn't really fit when we move back there for the back half of this. Um, you know, there was, it makes me think too, of just like, it, now that we're at this point, there was other little, um, I guess side stories to this season that like Lark was just such a totally unnecessary person and character, you know, uh, it was clearly a way to feature, Billy Lord, um, but I mean, I don't even know that I would say Lark is in my top five characters of this season. I, you know, oh, definitely not. Whereas you could argue theoretically that Holden Vaughn is not that necessary of a character, but it's a delightful character. <laughs> He's a delightful character in so many ways that I am glad he was a part of it. So, you know, that's the way. It also, goes. before you give your ranking, I when they said, um, "Oh, where's Eli? Oh, he's with the nanny." I was like, "Oh, is it Lark?" I thought Lark would be the nanny. That would have been good. We, it would have been a good little tie-in, so that way it all came together. In yeah. The um, and yes, yeah, Lark would have fit in their crew quite quite easily, I would have thought. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, for me, it was like this kind of... Uh, the pill is like this magic device that solved everything that we didn't know about before, and it still doesn't really make sense. Seemed cheap. I wish there had been a better... A, setup. a better setup to get uh, Bell and Austin in the end. It, it just seemed like a little bit cheap. Um so that was a little bit of a disappointment. I didn't mind Alma killing Harry. I felt like that was very fitting. Uh, yeah. So that was that was a, a good part of the story. But but the pill just didn't land for me. Um, yeah, and then you know back in L.A., I guess the little side story about Alma and the symphony. I I, I actually I think maybe that was the best part of that back half of the episode because his, I think that the whole talk about like you know sometimes even if you have talent it doesn't necessarily work out to your benefit was a good message we hadn't heard up until this point so i thought it, it was mm. kind of powerful um but the ursula stuff at the story workshop and at the house and things like that I, you know especially at Silly. the end when the house is when the city's blowing up 
Um, just wasn't didn't didn't quite do it in the end for me. So to that end, I I give it a three point seven five as well. That's kind of where I was sitting. So you know, not the worst, but I think you know we have been really high on this season so far. So not quite the ending I would have hoped, but I'm still hopeful because we have four episodes still left. Uh, moving. It's going to be hard to get into new characters after having such really good experiences with the exception of last episode uh in the first half of the season totally i think so there's an i have an inclination here where i'm like well should we should we rank this season should we rank red tide as an individual thing and i thought about this a lot and the answer is no i'm not going to have us do it and here's why Um, the reason being, we're left with a lot of questions that might still have answers in this in these last episodes, but we don't know yet. So it's not really fair in my mind to look at these six episodes as one season. Also, it's called double feature. They're asking us to consider this is a full season uh, tied together holistically. So I think we can't really view it as an independent, you know, Death Valley yes. and Red Tide as separate seasons. So I, yes, I think we need to refrain from doing that. That's how they were branded. That's how we'll evaluate them. But I do want you, just on a very small level, either give me your your best, your favorite part of this season and your least favorite part, or just even just give me, like, uh, even if it's, like, favorite character or least favorite character. Ooh. Um, so I think we know my favorite episode was the fifth episode. Um, I think it just, it felt like a movie. It was fantastic, though, with the whole uh, drag queen sequence and how things just felt organic how they they landed and how they happened um my favorite character i would say is ooh oh there's there's a lot of good ones uh mickey is the one that pops into my mind first but the way they that it ended seems sort of a disservice to how good of a character he was i don't think they realized how much people would like his character. Um, I've thought about this too, that apparently Kathy Bates was supposed to play um, Belle Noir before she had to pull out. And uh, we had Frances Conroy play her instead. And Frances Conroy is just, I don't understand why she doesn't get as much love as she deserves. She's, I think she's fantastic. She has this like softness to her delivery but still this like bite to it. And I think Belle Noir might be one of my favorites, especially once we learned her background story. Um, who would be your favorite characters be so far? I think my favorite, you touched on some, some really great ones. You got to give props to Francis Conroy for a fantastic character. Mickey. I mean, I think for Macaulay Culkin's first season on American Horror Story, excellent job. You can't deny that. I think we need to give a lot of props to Alma for just being like the actress. Oh my God, yes. The actress who played she's, that little girl, phenomenal. Uh, I thought she, she was amazing. Uh, I mean, and look, I thought that Doris as a character was kind of bland, but her storyline was heartbreaking. So you got to give props to uh, Lily Brave for Lily that. Rabe. And then finally, T.B. Karen Absolutely. was like the, 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 I, the trajectory of T.B. Yeah. Karen was phenomenal. And so, like, even if it was only 20 minutes of screen time, Sarah Paulson, as always, brought it and killed it. Um, 
I will say one of my favorite moments I wanted to mention was, and then I, I'm kind of sad we got more of them. We've insulted this aspect of past seasons, including in Freak Show, but the karaoke Music. at the Muse yep. with <laughs> like Belle and Austin singing like Islands in the Stream. So good. I thought it was phenomenal. Also, um, kudos, applause to Evan Peters for winning the Emmy Award this past weekend for Mary of Easttown. If you haven't seen that, go check it out. He should have won this award for American Horror Story at least twice before. Tate, I think he should have won it for. And um, in uh, Hotel, he should have won it too also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's, but yeah. Yeah, he did. He was he was excellent in Mayor of Easttown. But, uh, I love all our characters. God damn it. Why, what, every, all these people are so good. So many good characters this season. So, I mean, maybe that's just also props to, I mean, Brad Falchuk was the consistent one throughout every episode. So, awesome job, man. He, he brought it this season. I know. Hint, hint. Yeah, for real. Uh, anything else before we close out Red Tide? Did you see the preview? I did. For, so, real quick, what do you think about it? Just, like, it was, it was hard to decipher what was actually happening. But it's obviously Aliens. I think it's very highly stylistic, the way that it's being portrayed in the black and white and everything like that, which I'm hoping is cool. Uh, You know, it it seems very different from past seasons of American Horror Story, which we're all into them taking big swings with things. So I appreciate that, too. Um, I have absolutely no idea how this could possibly tie back into Red Tide. So a little bit curious about that or if it is going to at all. but I'm still excited for yep. it. I hope we return to a few story points when we see Death Valley, but we'll see. We'll see. I agree. Anyway, overall, loved it, though. This has been an amazing start to a season, and I feel like we've been wanting this for a long time, and so I'm thrilled of what we've seen so far. Very much agree. I hope this isn't the end of our storylines in P-Town, because... It was too good. Totally agree. Yeah, it was. It, it's been fun, and and uh, after having waited so long for a new season, uh, worth wait, I would say. Yep, worth waiting for. Uh, thank you all once again, uh, as always, for listening. You know, you can reach out and give us your own thoughts and your favorite moments from this season, and how you feel like Red Tide wrapped up. I'm going to say that in quotes. Uh, because we don't know that it really is wrapped up, but how you feel like at least these first six episodes wrapped up, uh, email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com or you know send us a message or comment at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory. As always, you can um, we also invite you to subscribe. Uh, well, either subscribe, rate, review, whatever, uh, our, you know the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, and if you know you're so inclined, throw us a few shekels at this American horror, or sorry, at buymeacoffee.com/tahs. Um, it's just five dollar increments, so so not a not a big commitment or anything like that. We promise you. Chris, where can people find you between now and Death Valley? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. Tyler, where can people find you? People can find me at tjmoss11, and if you wanted to shoot me your favorite horror movies, and maybe even lesser-known horror movies that are currently streamable uh, so I can continue my binge into October, I would appreciate that. Ooh, 
I'm gonna post. I'll post on our Facebook tonight, and then people can respond. Like, what's your favorite fall like movie to get into? And you can go horror, or you can go rom com. I don't care. But like, I'm I'm curious what people what people think. Do you want to watch Sleepless in Seattle? Do you want to watch Halloween? Oh, by the way, did you have you seen the trailers for Halloween Kills? It looks amazing. Yeah, it looks awesome. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Anyway, I'll post that, and people can respond to that, so we can see all that. Also, I'm, I'm so HBO Max has *Malignant* on it, which is the new James Wan movie. <gasps> I've heard it's. Good. I'm halfway through. I'm really enjoying it so far. I plan oh. to watch the rest of our night, but yeah, it's it's enjoyable so far. Anyway, thanks Bye. so much, everybody. We appreciate you listening as always. Until next week, happy hauntings.